Harvest, Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, which is going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we have people who would love to get Bibles into your hand. So if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, you forgot your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you if you don't own a Bible, so you can have a copy of God's Word for yourself. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're starting a new sermon series this week, and it's called Increase. Now, what often comes to mind when when you hear the word increase, especially in a kind of a church circle, when you hear increase, you think increase blessing, and and that is what we're talking about, but we we sometimes think, oh, increase blessing, that must mean increase finances or increased health or increased growth or increased influence, and what will happen is if we stop there, and what we think of this idea of increase, and, and if we're not careful, our minds and even our life passion begins to pursue just these. And it stops short, I think, of where God wants to take us with his blessing. And it's not like those things are bad. It's not like God's blessing us financially or, or with good health or, or with greater influence. Those things aren't bad, but they're supposed to be pointed to something even greater. And if we stop there, we miss out on an even greater increase. That God offers us something so much greater, so much greater than the things we thought, we thought were the ultimate blessings. We thought that comfort and ease and, 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 and money, that these things are great blessings. But my hope is this, as we track through this series, that we'll grow more and more uh, in, in seeing what God has for us in his increase, that we would look back at those blessings and think, man, those are good blessings, but man, I thought they were the ultimate. Now, they're, they're, they're not even close to the ultimate blessing that we would track with, with what God wants to do in our hearts and lives, that we would look back at the things we used to think were ultimate, and we'll look at those things and think, man, they, they seem like infomercials now. Remember the old infomercials? Like, like, like nobody is so fired up anymore about the thigh master, right? Thank you, Suzanne Summers. Like, we just don't care anymore. Like, the, the, and we used to think that thing was awesome. That thing is so, no, it's not, n- nobody is fired up. Maybe, maybe nobody ever was fired up about the snuggle blanket thing, whatever, right? Remember the thing you wear as a blanket, right? That thing's awesome. No, it's not, right? That's not the ultimate, right? That, and I would hope that as we track through this series, and as God begins to show where he wants to increase us, that we would look at those blessings we thought were the ultimate, and we'd say, man, they c- don't even compare to where God wants to take us. And we want to dig into what does this look like for us as a church? I mean, God's increased us as a church. He's increased us numerically. We've grown over the years we've been a church. We continue to grow that every week, every month, more people are being added to the church. Small groups are growing. More small group leaders are being trained up. More baptisms, more more people and resources going into local missions and going into global missions, more people being discipled and trained. And I want us to ask this question throughout this series. Why has God blessed us as a church? And, And what does God want us to do with this increase? What would it look like for us as a church to seek greater increase? What does it look like, as, as you guys know, as we're expanding into adding another campus into Huntsville, what's that look like? What's it look like to, to see that increase, to see a gospel increase? And listen, it's going to cost us. To do these things, it will cost us. To, to put another campus, it'll cost us financially. It'll cost us comfort. It'll for sure cost us preference. I gotta tell you, as I think it through, this idea of, a, of renovating this building and, and let's have another campus in Huntsville so we can more effectively reach people for the gospel, the first thing that came to my heart, I'm gonna tell you, was, oh man, this is gonna be hard. 
But I want to start to look and see how many of us have asked the questions about even this move as a church and how many of our questions to God have been more about comfort, more about preference, or, or are we asking questions about God, will this further your kingdom in the gospel? What will this look like for us as a church? But I also want us in this series to press in on what does this look like for us personally? That, that each of us would ask that question where we would say, where has God blessed me? Where has God increased me? And the more important question, God, what do you want me to do with this increase? And to answer that question, we're going to track through looking at the life of Abraham. Abraham, Tim Keller said of Abraham, he said that, that life didn't just happen to him, he happened to life. A great thing to say about somebody that, that Abraham was a guy who had, had great increase. God blessed him greatly, and he used Abraham's blessing to bless others. But Abraham wasn't a guy who just went with the flow. He stood against his family, he stood against society, and he, and he re redefined culture, redefined future. But I love people like that. We're going to track through his life and see what, what can we learn from that. Abraham's a guy who, who three major world religions claim him as the father of their faith. His, his impact on civilization was incredible. Outside of Jesus Christ, it's hard to imagine anyone else who had greater increase. And where does it begin? It begins with God's call on his life right here in Genesis chapter 12. What can we learn from this call of God to increase our life? If you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. God's call powerfully transforms me. God's call powerfully transforms me. Because he, here's the thing about Abraham. As we start to look in in his life, he begins this journey to increase when things don't look that great. Things are bleak for Abraham right now. This call to increase, it's not just for the powerful. It's a powerful call, but it's not just for the powerful. It's not for those who have it all together. It's not just for the people who have it all figured out. It's not just for people when life is going good and easy. Here, things are dark and hopeless. In fact, let, let, me, let me build the scene for you before God calls Abram where, where he's at. Genesis chapter 11, if, if you just go up a few, few verses to chapter 11, verse 27, where it says this, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So, so Terah is Abraham's father. Now right now, Abraham's called Abram. His name's gonna be changed a little later on, but here's name's Abram. Terah's his dad. He's a descendant of Shem. Shem was one of Noah's three sons. He was the, the one son that Noah blessed and, and was promised that through his family line, the Messiah would come. So, so Abraham's part of a really good family line, but, but Terah, there's a problem. Joshua chapter 24, verse two says that Terah worshiped other gods, false gods. His name, Terah, his actual name is the same name as a moon god from Ur of the Chaldeans. Doesn't look good for Abram being used greatly by God right now. This family line that was supposed to be such a great family line that would lead to the Messiah, it's spiritually dying. But it, it's, it's not just dying spiritually. Look at, let's keep going on, verse 29 of chapter 11. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Look at verse 30. Now Sarai, this is Abram's wife, was barren. She had no child. So he, he's married to this, this girl named Sarai. Sarai means princess. 
Okay, now any girl I've known who's been named princess was high maintenance, so I don't, I don't know if that's true about here, right? But here's this girl, princess. Now, she was a beautiful woman, so beautiful that, that as she even got on in age, and she was the age of, of grandparents and then great-grandparents, she was still so beautiful that, that, that even at that extended age that, that men still pursued her. So here's this princess, but she has a problem. She's barren. Abram, his, his name actually means father. It, it, it almost seems like the world's playing this cruel joke on him. Everything's coming to an end. You're, you're hopeless. You're an old man married to an old barren woman. This does not look like something great is about to happen with this guy. Abram is from a godless place, a godless dad. He has no hope for a family. Maybe some of you can relate to this in a, in a way. You feel like you're in, in that same spot where you hear that there's a sermon series on, on increase and on blessing. And you say, well, you know, I, I'm hearing you say that God destines us for something greater, for, for eternal purposes and significance. And, and that appeals to us because nobody wants to just live their life just going through the motions and not having any impact on our world. And yet, yet you stop and you think, listen, I, I can hear that you're saying that God's called me for something greater. And yet, when I look at my life and my circumstances, I have to ask, How? Maybe you look at your past and you look at the choices you've made and the, the guilt and shame that you carry with you and think, there's no way God's going to increase me. Or maybe you look at your present situation and you, and you see the struggles that you're in right now and you think, man, I, I don't understand how God could ever use me for greater things. But listen, this passage here gives us hope. Because here's this, this busted up guy and, and, and he's the guy that God looks down on and says, yeah, that's him. That's who I want to change the world with. And this call of God is a call of absolute grace. He doesn't call you because you're qualified. No, the, the call of God is what qualifies you. I mean, think of it this way. If, if I needed a mechanic and I called you, I would call you if you are a mechanic. Why? Because you'd be qualified. I need a mechanic. God's call is different from our call. When God calls you, he powerfully transforms you. I mean, think about Jesus calling his disciples. He called a, a bunch of fishermen, just regular blue-collar guys. He said, you guys are going to change the world. He called Matthew a, a, a tax collector. He was, he was a guy who would have been hated by other Jews because he was, he was using the Roman occupation as a way for him to make money off his fellow countrymen. And Jesus said, I'll choose you. He chose, this is crazy, you got Matthew, a person who's, who's working for the Roman government. He says, I'll choose Simon the Zealot. A zealot is somebody who wants to overthrow the Roman government. He goes, yeah, I'll take those two together. Matthew and Simon who wants to kill Matthew. He says, I'll do great things with these guys. You start to read the book of Acts and you see the early church and who are the first people being transformed by the call of God on their lives. You have, you have people like Simon the Magician and when you think magician, it's not like the magician you hire for your kid's birthday party, right? Not that kind of magician. This is a magician who dealt with, with dark spirits and evil things. He, he's like the, the black eyeshadow and black lipstick goth kind of magician thing going on, right? So that's who that guy is. And, and God gets a hold of his life and changes him. God gets a hold of Lydia, this, this powerful, wealthy businesswoman who, who was religious but didn't know Jesus. God changes her life radically where she becomes, her home becomes the center of the church. God, God turns over the life of a jailer in Philippi, a jailer who would have been a, a retired Roman soldier who had seen and done horrible things in his life. The 
call of God changes him completely and his whole family. You, you think that of, of God calling Saul, who would later become Paul, who was the one murdering and putting Christians in prison, and God says, I'm going to choose him, radically transformed by the gospel. Here at Harvest, we have story after story of lives transformed. How does it happen? God transforms us for his work. Why? Because he changes us, because he deals with the problem of sin, a problem we can't change. Religion won't deal with sin. Philanthropy won't work. Theology doesn't work. More knowledge doesn't work. But God's grace in Christ and his atoning blood shed on the cross takes care of our greatest problem, which is our separation from God because of sin. So when God calls you, to follow him, that call is transforming. In fact, look at chapter 12, verse 1. God begins to call Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and to your kindred. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we're, we're going to hold Abraham here up as, a, as this example of, of, of being a, someone who God increases. But what made Abraham great, remember, it's the call of God that made him great. What makes you as a Christian different is the call of God. It's what makes you a Christian to start with, that God would draw your heart to himself and call you to follow him. And you're, you're not a Christian if you haven't embraced that call to say, I'm going to follow Christ with my whole life. I'm going to treasure you, Jesus, above all else. And you're going to spend your life either, either responding to God's call or responding to other calls on your life. Abraham here needed the call of God. It wasn't because Abraham was such a good guy. Yeah, did he come from a good family line? He sure did, but, but even if he came from a wicked family, listen, it doesn't matter. Good or, or broken families, we all need Christ. We're all spiritually dead without the call of God. And listen, when God calls you, he changes you. When Abram first met God, God made a promise to him that he would be the father of nations. And then later, he would, he would change Abram's name. Abram meaning father. He says, no, you're no longer Abram. You're now Abraham, which doesn't just mean father. It means father of a multitude. I mean, that's the life-changing, grace-filled power of the call of God on your life. God's saying to Abram, he goes, listen, listen, I know this is who you think you are. I know this is who people call you, but that's not who you are. I'm gonna tell you who you really are. You see this happen throughout scripture. I love when Jesus talking to Peter, who's called Simon, he says, hey, people call you Simon, but I want to call you Peter because you're a rock. God says, here's my promise for you. You're changed. Listen, uh, you're known as a sinner. I'm calling you a saint. You're broken. I call you healed. You're an orphan. I call you my child. You're lost. I call you found. You're a new creation with a, a new name. So here's this Abram, a guy with no hope. And God calls him, and his future is changed forever. What's the call that God calls him to? Look again at verse 1. This call that changes Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go 
from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. The first thing God does when he calls Abram as he's changed him, he then calls him to action. So God's call, not only does it transform you, secondly, this morning is this, God's call is a call to action. Really, the the action that follows God's call, it reveals where your heart really is. Is your heart surrendered or are you still looking for control? Who's still in control of your life? Are you in control or is God in control? I mean, think about what he, he asked Abram to do. It was so open-ended. Hey, hey, go to the land I'm going to show you later. Right? God says to Abraham, go. And Abraham's like, hey, where am I going to go? I'll show you that later. Just go. He says, I'm going to give you a son. How is that going to happen? Hey, just follow me. I'm going to make it happen. I'll take care of it. God's call to Abram. I love how John Calvin said that it was like this. It was as though God said to Abram, he said, just close your eyes and grab my hand. I love that. Just close your eyes and take my hand. Just just trust me. Now go. If you're a parent like like I am, you know, you ask your kids to do stuff. And I do it all the time. And I'm talking to my three girls and I I think I'm speaking English when I'm saying it, right? And they're giving me the look like they're comprehending what I'm saying. I'm like, hey, can you clean up your room real quick? And I think they got that. They'll go away and I'll come back and it's not done, right? Like, hey, why is the room not clean? Oh, sorry, sorry, Dad. I guess we just didn't get to it. And or they give excuses, right? Your kids ever give excuses? Hey, Dad, Dad, I'll do it, but can I finish watching this TV show first? I'm a pastor. My kids never say that. They say, can I finish reading Revelation first, right? <clears throat> <laughs> When God calls you, what type of child are you? As parents, we we expect this this complete obedience to our requests. When God calls you, what kind of child are you? When God calls you and you're you're looking at the life he has to call, call you on, what kind of child are you? I mean, I started thinking about road tripping as a kid. You ever do that? You go on long trips with your parents, right? And then you set up, if you have siblings, we do, we'd sit in the, the station wagon and you'd set up the lines. Like, you can't cross this line. And if they, mom, mom, he's crossing the line. He's touching me, right? And my dad had that sweet arm swing, right? He could reach back to the, trying to swing and we'd be dodging it the whole time, right? And then because he could never get connection, he would pull the car over. And my dad was old school, man. He didn't care if cars were driving by. He's opened up a can on the side of the road on us, right? If we're disobeying, right? So, but here's the thing. What was the one question that we would always ask. If you travel with your kids, what's the one question on every road trip? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? Over and over again. And what do we do? We, we complain about the trip. We, we ask, how come we're not there yet? And what's going on? We're not trusting the trip. We're not trusting what's happening. Again, when God calls you, what, what kind of child are you? Are you trusting God's call? Or when God calls, are you thinking, if I, if I just ignore God, maybe he won't notice. If, if, if I, I'll, just, I'll just do a little bit what he asks, but I, I won't do it right now because I've got these other things I have to do first. Or, or I'll bargain with God. God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Or do you find yourself complaining to God? God, God are we there yet? God, how much longer are you going to take through this journey I'm on right now? God, why are you calling me to do it? I look around and nobody else is. They're not following. What about, we ask so many questions of God, don't we? How often when you 
start to feel God pressing in on your heart and life, or maybe when you first gave your life to Christ, you had all these questions. What's it going to mean? Do, do I have to become a missionary? Do, do I have to change my job? Will I have to break up with my boyfriend? Will, will I have to change some part of my life that I don't want to change? Will I, will I have to be that person who, who gives the Walmart checkout person a hard time at Christmas because they said happy holidays and I self-righteously say, no, Merry Christmas. Do I got to be that person? Right? You have all these questions that we ask. I don't know what the answers are for those. Here's the, here's the important thing though. Are we willing to give up the driver's seat to God? I mean, God's not calling us to say, hey, hey, I'll have a little bit of influence in your life, but you just keep doing what you want to do. No, God says, go. God says, follow me. Abraham could have said, uh, God, I'm, I'm 75 years old. I just got things figured out. We just got settled here where we are here in, in Ur of the Chaldeans. I, I finally paid off my mortgage. I've, I got a nice car, a nice wife. I, I'm retiring. I, I think I'd rather just golf a little bit. Like, I don't think I'm, I don't want to do this. And how, how about I just, how about you just visit me every Sunday, God? I'll sing some songs and you kind of give me a little sermon and everything will be great. No, Abraham doesn't do any of that. What's he do? He obeys. He goes. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't question. Now, why is that? I think if you look at the text, you see a clue in, in, in a word that's repeated over and over again. He says, go from your country and to your kindred and your father's house to the land. Look at it. I will show you. And then God says again, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless all those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Over and over again, God's saying, listen, I'm the one taking care of this. I think Abraham looked at what God was calling him to and realized this doesn't have anything to do with me. This doesn't rely on me at all. This is God promising to do something in my life. It doesn't rest on me. It rests in him. So Abraham didn't need to know all the details. He just needed to trust in the character and the call and the promises of God. For you and me, it's it's the same. It's about us resting all of our hope, all of our life in the word and work of Jesus Christ. This call in Abram's life, it, it did mean that he had to leave behind some things. And for us too, it's not just about moving forward and seeing what the increase is. There's, there's also things that we have to leave behind. Abram was told, go from your country, go from your, your father's house and to a land I will show you. You've got to leave some things behind. And the Lord's basically saying to Abram, saying, hey, listen, listen, I know you've settled in this land, but I want you to trade that security and that safety of that land. I want you to trade it in for something I've got so much greater. And here's the thing, God's trade-in deals are way better than you're going to find at any car lot, all right? God's trade-in is a little bit like this. Like I drive my 2002 Honda Accord with a wrong colored bumper and 260,000 kilometers and I pull into the, the parking lot and I, I look around some cars and I see the Ferrari in the parking lot and the, the car dealers will tell you what, straight up trade. Give me the Honda, you get the Ferrari. That's God's trade-in, all right? That, that, that's how God does the trade-in. The problem is we don't see it that way. We cling to the little Honda Accord like it's our security, our safety, but this is what I need. I can't give this up. I can't trust you, God, that, that you've got something greater for me. And, and sometimes God then presses in on our security. 
In Abram's day, family connections and land were everything. And God's saying, leave all that behind. I was reading just this week about... Uh, in 1845, the Franklin expedition that, that sailed from England trying to find a passage through the Arctic Ocean. And the crew, they loaded down these two sailing ships with, with so much stuff they didn't need. Stuff they should have left behind. They had a 1,200 volume library in the boats. They had fine china, crystal goblets, sterling silverware for each officer that had his initials engraved on the handles. So much stuff they didn't need that they, they only brought a small amount of coal in case the sails, the wind didn't come up to, to run the, the motors on the ship. They didn't bring enough at all. So the, the ships become trapped in the ice. Months go by and Lord Franklin dies. Now the men are like, what do we do now? So they decided we, we got to get off this, this frozen ocean. So they decided in small groups to, to escape to see if they can survive. One story, it's especially heartbreaking. It talks about these, these two officers that pulled this large sled more than 65 miles across the frozen ocean. When rescuers finally found their bodies, they discovered the sled was filled with table silver. And they just carried things they didn't need. And it, it sounds ridiculous, it sounds crazy. Like, why would you ever do that until I look at my own life and see me doing the very same thing where God says, follow me, and I'm dragging stuff behind me that God says, why are you bringing that? Why are you bringing that sinful habit that you just won't let go of? Can't you see it's killing you? Why are you dragging behind you that bitterness and unforgiveness when you can let it go? Why, why are you dragging behind your stuff as though, as though your stuff is so important you have to cling to it? Why are you dragging your control, control of schedules and people? And how, Why are you dragging behind you your control of letting people in or not? Why are you dragging behind your image, your job, your pride, your, your perfect picture of a perfect family? God's saying, let go of all of that. Trade it in. I've got something so much better for you. Are there areas where you say, no, God, not that? God, I'm not letting that go. God, I'm not going to obey you in that. Lord, I know your word is clear, but it, it contradicts what I want to do, what I believe, and I'm not going to let you speak into that. I won't go there, God. Don't talk about that. And God's saying, go, go. You're going to be radically changed. Don't ask God whether or not he's going to fit into your agenda. We need to recognize that Christianity is a whole new agenda. Where we don't say, how is God going to fit into my life? No, it's a, a whole new way of doing life. Are we willing to put everything out onto the table? Even those things we cling so tightly to. I mean, this morning, what is it that you hold on to so tightly? And Jesus is saying this morning, just release that. Just loosen your grip on that. You see in Genesis 12, verse 4 and following, it says this, So Abraham, or sorry, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took, his wife, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, 
to the oak of Moreh at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going on towards Negev. Something interesting here, you see twice Abram does something. He builds an altar. Two times where God says, hey, here's the promise, I'm gonna give you this land, and he builds an altar. What's an altar? An altar, is a, it's a symbol of sacrifice where, where Abram's saying, I'm giving everything up for this. It's a symbol of worship where Abram is worshiping God, not because he's seen how it's all gonna turn out, he's worshiping just based on the promise. God says, this is what I have for you. He says, Lord, I'm laying everything else down at this altar to worship you above all of it. So this morning, has God, has God been speaking to you about something that, you, that you've been dragging your feet on? Maybe you've been partially obeying, you've been sort of in, sort of out. Well, maybe this morning, maybe today is the day you build an altar where you say, I'm letting this go today. I'm laying it down to worship you, Christ. God, you're greater and I'm trusting in you. I'm gonna trust in who you are and in your promises. Why would we do that? Here's our last point this morning. God transforms us. God calls us to action and God increases us. Why? God increases me to increase his mission. God increases me to increase his mission. So what does that mean? It means that now as a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, that no longer is your life asking the question of, hey, what's most comfortable for me? Hey, hey, where can I live that's the best place to live? Hey, what job can I take that's the best for me? Hey, hey, where can I find the greatest comfort and safety and influence and status? No, when you are a Christ follower, you don't make decisions like that anymore. No, now the call of God begins to reshape yourself and the question is now, hey, where can I be the best blessing? Where can God's mission increase through me? When God calls us, this, this call on our life, it, it's as if God's saying, listen, if you seek yourself, you're gonna be empty. But if you seek to increase others, I'll increase you. If, if your life is about living for the blessing of others, for them to be increased, God says, listen, I'm going to fill you up. Verse 2, he says, I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that, so why would you do that? Why, God, would you pour all this blessing on Abram so that you will be a blessing? And so we, we step out of our security zone, out of our comfort zone. We get out of the familiar. Why? Because God says, when you step out, I'm going to use you to increase my mission. And so now as a Christ follower, now you start to view everything in light of that. Hey, what will increase God's mission? What will increase his kingdom? And then God, because he's such a generous father who loves to give good gifts to his children, as he pours out this blessing on you, he doesn't do it just for you to enjoy them. He, he blesses so that that blessing can be turned out to, out to others as you offer it back to him in worship. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this, great verse. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower 
will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So why is God blessing you? He says, I'm blessing you to increase you. To increase you what? To increase you for others. So that you can have a, a greater reach with the gospel. So that you can see that everything you've been given is a seed to be sown. And so instead of taking those seeds and grinding them up and making bread for yourself and just eating it all yourself, you say, no, 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 I'm gonna take these seeds and I'm gonna sow them to grow more crops. God's blessed you. I heard one person say it this way, that God's blessed you not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, Pastor Kai, that, that sounds great, but I don't really have a big increase. I, I, I don't feel hugely blessed. Listen, I would say this, no matter where you are, no matter what season God has you in, you have seeds to sow. I love how Jesus pointed out the woman who only gave two pennies. He said, man, she gave more than everybody else combined. She wanted God to increase. I loved hearing the two testimonies during our Habakkuk series from the two young women who were, who were in so much suffering, who, who had gone through a serious hard time. And you say, man, those two girls were suffering. How, how, how would they ever give for an increase? Well, what they did, they took their suffering, they offered it up to God as a word of praise and a testimony for all of us, and we were blessed by it. I mean, the call to follow God is saying, listen, God, I want to leverage whatever increase you give me for the advancement of your kingdom to the point where I'll even turn pain into a testimony of your goodness and your faithfulness. And for us to recognize that nothing that we have, God doesn't waste any of it. God doesn't waste any of the pain. God doesn't waste any of the difficulties. Everything God gives you can be increased. And so God gives Abram and he gives us this, this real simple choice. Here's the choice. Hold on to what you have and you'll be empty or offer it up to God, to others without restriction and you'll be filled. You and the world around you will be filled. And if we live this, this comfort, safety first, only my needs, I just want to hide out and huddle up, you're not going to be much use to anybody. But if, when we open up our hands and our lives and everything to God, say, God, use me. He'll, he'll use you behind your wildest expectations. And so as we close, well, what's this going to look like for us as a church? What's it look like here at Harvest for, for that to happen? I mean, again, I, I think about this coming church plant in Huntsville. <clears throat> and I honestly believe that, that for us to do this, it will change us as a church. I mean, not, not only will it extend our, our ability to reach out into Bracebridge, into Huntsville, into to Muskoka, into Perrysville, not only will it help all of that to, for us to be used by God to reach broken people with the good news of Jesus Christ, but it's gonna be a call for us to lay down our preferences, to lay down our comfort to give sacrificially. Why? So that the gospel would increase. What's it look like for us personally? I mean, what might God be calling some of you to today? I mean, maybe, the, maybe today for you, it's following through on what Pastor Lee talked about when he preached through the, the series on forgiveness. Maybe there's, there's bitterness and, and unforgiveness still in your heart. And God's saying, listen, listen, follow me. Trust me. Increase grace by giving grace. Or is there something you've clung to for so long and God's saying, trade it in. 
I want to increase you. Is God calling you to serve in a way you've never served before? Maybe here at Harvest and, and looking for a, a place where I'm, I want to I join in. I just want to sit back and enjoy the increase of this church. I want to be a part of the increase of this church. I, I want to I find more opportunities to serve. I want to find more opportunities to give, to be a blessing. Maybe there's someone who God's been calling you to share Christ with and fears kept you back. Harvest, I believe we have a chance to revolutionize our communities with the gospel. I think we have an opportunity for God to teach us what it really means for us to follow him with a reckless abandon, to, to lay aside our comfort, to lay aside our preferences, to give sacrificially, to live sacrificially so that our lives will make an eternal difference. So here's my challenge as we close. Are you willing to pray this prayer throughout this series? God, increase me. God, increase me. I'm ready to follow you.